All right, welcome back to the podcast. And this is episode 71. And I want you to welcome back my friend, Sharon Norman. She was on the podcast uh, within the first, she was like with the, in the first five episodes. I decided to catch up with her. She started a church plant. So I wanted to hear all about that and what's happening uh, in Saginaw, Michigan. Uh, anyway, we have a lot of fun in this episode. And we talk about doing life in our communities, spiritual pimps, and uh, the church as an outpost. So lots of good stuff. Uh, and I have several new episodes coming. Actually, I have three that are recorded. So I'm a little bit behind on editing and getting them posted. And then I still have like three or four that are on the calendar. I'm just excited about some of these guests that are coming up. Lots of, man, these these guests that are coming up, they're just building uh, inroads for the kingdom in creative ways. Uh, I have someone that's coming on the podcast. We're going to talk about injustice or social justice issues uh, and what she's doing to uh, help raise awareness and make some changes in social constructs. And then I have a gal coming on the podcast who's a military chaplain and I have an author that uh, recently released a book that's coming on the podcast. So uh, a DS in Canada, lots of good stuff. I can't wait for you to hear all of them. But in the meantime, listen to Sharon Norman and enjoy the episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? You've been up to so much stuff. I think you were like episode two or three or something on the podcast. So I imagine you have a whole lot to update because you left Grand Rapids International Fellowship, right? Mm-hmm. And you went and did something else and now you're doing something else. I, I feel like may, maybe, well, I've been away from Grand Rapids since 2013. So that's like eight years. Um, but I was in Bourbonnet up until 2018. And then we came to Saginaw. And um, when we came to Saginaw in 2018 and served at at Saginaw Valley until 2020. And then we planted the new church in October of 2020. October 2020. I, you know, I just think all of us who've been planting churches in 2020, we need bonus gold stars from, from Jesus. Right. We're either crazy or seriously courageous. And some days I'm not sure which one is. Right. So tell me about this vision for your church plant and, and, and what you're doing there. Cause you're still in Saginaw, right? Yeah. All right. So tell me all about your vision and what you're doing and how you're reaching people and making inroads for the kingdom. Absolutely. So there's a long story that I'll try to condense as much as possible. So my husband is actually from Saginaw and when we went, so when we were at um, Griff in Grand Rapids, I received a call from Ed Heck, who was at Kankakee first, and Randy Owens, who was at Saginaw Valley, like within a day of each other. 
Now I hadn't been looking for anything. I mean, just nothing. I, you know, I'd set in my heart that, you know, as soon as Joe Knight, who was the pastor at Griff, as soon as he retired, I was retiring with him. And uh, me and Jesus were going to take the show on the road. And so, so, you know, that was just the, the, where we were. So here we are with these two interviews and Brent and I decided to take a trip up to Saginaw. We took a trip down to Bourbon A and then we decided to come over to Saginaw. And again, that's his hometown. And so we were in the car driving and I said to him, I believe that if we came to Saginaw now, we would do good work but I believe God wants us to do great work. And if we're going to do great work, we still have some training and education to get before we can come here. And so, and that was in 2013. And so fast forward, uh, Randy came to see us in Bourbon A, you know, had pitched this vision that was very much in line with what our heartbeat was and what our heart call was. And, and, what what sold it for us, which made it very clear for us, he said, we have been a come and see ministry long enough where we have pretty much relied on the programs of the church to get people to come in. But we believe, I be, he said, I believe that God has called us to be a go and be church where we get what we need on Sunday and then we go into the world because that is what the church, the sent ones were called to do. And one of the things we talked about during our, during that meeting was this idea that, you know, Brent and I were like, we absolutely like this definitely sounds like what we feel very much called to, but we need to kind of caution you and, and let's just kind of unpack this idea that we don't have an interest to go and build a church with a huge membership. That That's not, you know, at some point, we believe we need to, we will need to part and plant or you know if that's a satellite church because the gospel has to be shared and we believe there's enough room in Saginaw for the holiness work to keep being um, holiness works to be established in different parts of the community so from the beginning we just strongly felt that way and so during our tenure there we sp we spent a lot of time focusing on discipleship because honestly, you know, minus discipleship, it really is a country club. People just showing up to get their feel or do their thing. And then they go home and they kind of live this life during the week that that's, that's less than the standard of holiness that we're called to. Um, and, and I'm not talking about living, you know, getting everything right, but no, being incarnate in your communities, on your job, your school, you know, fast forward to October, Pastor Randy left and we were put up for vote and the vote uh, did not, was not two thirds. It was so interesting. The day we found out we're sitting at our kitchen table and, um, you know, Brent and I are saying, we need to let our girls know uh, so they can process. And we wanted to process for a minute. So we called the girls downstairs and we said, you know what? The church did not vote for us to lead there. And so our youngest, who was 11 at the time, she sits up and she says, okay, so when are we planting our church? When are we starting our church? Like this was the same day, like no reservation. And, and that little girl has been that person in 
in our lives, really, who just, you know, this is kind of simple. Jesus calls you to do this, mom and dad. What, what's the difficulty here? And so it, we learned that there was a building in the area where when we moved to Saginaw, our kids started attending Saginaw Township School. So that's uh, Saginaw Township would be like a suburb of Saginaw, um, as in Carlton, uh, which is where Saginaw Valley set is a suburb of Car uh, Saginaw. So we began really doing a lot of life. Um, I started subbing in Saginaw Township. My husband coaches middle school basketball in the township. Our kids go to school there. We volunteer in the township. So we've been living our lives in Saginaw Township since we moved to Saginaw. When we just automatically knew this is where we were supposed to be in Saginaw Township. And so the DS, the interim DS, uh, said to us, you know there's still the New Life property that um, is over on Center Road. And it was like, okay, I'm not sure what that means exactly. We went and looked at the church. Um, the church had been empty for three years. The pastor died. They had his funeral and they closed the doors. When we went and looked, it was like a scene out of Left Behind. It was, it was, it was fascinating. Oh, and that's so, crazy. Yeah. I mean, we went in and the hymn books were still there and, um, the mission information was still on the wall. It was just, and the page was open to where people had signed in for his funeral. Like they just left. Good structure, good bones. And it was sitting right in Saginaw Township, less than a mile from Natalie's, which is our youngest daughter's middle school, in a great neighborhood. And we've heard stories about people. There's an apartment complex or a townhome complex, like literally next door and one across. And there's a, another, an elementary school, like less than a quarter of a mile up the road. And we just, when we walked in, it was like, this is where, like everything we've done in ministry came to that point. And this is where we know we're supposed to be. And so we gathered um, a team, prayed about some folks and we reached out to them and the four that the Lord showed us, they came with us and some in the Nazarene church, some not. We were really bold. And the interesting thing about our group is that none of us are um, like we're born into the Nazarene church. Uh, the only people born into the Nazarene church are my children. Lutherans, Catholic, and Baptist, those are all the backgrounds that have come. It has been amazing. And that's been just doing Zoom church because we had to do renovations or we had to do mold remediation in our building and it sat so long right. that it started to get moldy. So we're actually finishing that up this week and looking at being in the building the 1st of May. Next Monday, um, we're looking at starting our Jericho March. So every day for six days, we'll march around the building once. And then on the seventh day, which will be uh, the Sunday we go in, we will go around seven times and then go in the building. Yeah. I'm so happy for you, Sharon. Thank you. Such good news. And I mean, you're already seeing growth. I mean, 
any growth in COVID, during COVID is right. from the Lord, right? It is from right. the Lord. You cannot deny it. Yeah. So uh, I, it's going to be, you're just going to have, it's going to explode this summer. It just yeah. will. It we will. are so looking forward to it. And there's just a hunger. Our name is Journey of Grace, Church of the Nazarene. And one of the things that has been so very clear to us is this idea, which was so interesting. So we have our name and all that set before the Church of the Nazarene comes out with this whole discipleship strategy, which was, you know, amazing. It's like, you know, there are people who are thinking the same way. And and one of the things that has just been a heart call for us is to move the people of God from being those who just invite people to church, but become these people who invite others to Christ. Because we tend to do that. We'll invite people to church before we'll invite them to Christ. But we are the sent one. And you've been pastoring for quite some time. So you know how this works. People will bring their friend to church. And then their friend becomes your responsibility to get them to Jesus. And that's not the way Jesus yeah. intended this at all. And Amen. It's like, Amen. what are we doing that we are not teaching people to be more than just kind of you know, it's almost like pimps. Like we're teaching them to be spiritual pimps. Nobody has ever used that word, but think about it for a minute. They go out out, like, and they bring people, they bring us customers so we can get them saved. And then we teach them to go out. And I'm like, that is not the way Jesus meant for this to work. What does that mean for us in the training, in the teaching, in the accountability you know, one of the things that is very real, we don't hold people accountable. We don't hold people accountable in their spiritual walk. And it's all in the name of, well, people want to be happy. That's between them and God. I don't see that in scripture that way. There are some things, yes, that you need to leave with God. But when you are fundamentally choosing a way that does not honor God and brings dishonor to the his body, it's okay for the body of Christ to say, hey, what are we doing? How can I help you be better, do better? How can I walk along the journey with you? That has just been a real, for us, this real passion and heart call for us to do more than just bring people in a building and then see what we can do on that Sunday. And then, but in fact, to do life with them during the week. And we have been adamant about that. And we have been, we are uh, shaping ministry for that. And it's been so amazing, like, and so freeing. Um, We have, I'm going to find these cards before you, before we go, but we have these cards that we are giving to all of our members. It becomes, and I'm just going to hold it up to your screen. So the front of it is just our, you know, information. And then on the back, It says, and you might be able to read it, but it says, I am an excited member of Journey of Grace Church of the Nazarene. If you need prayer or encouragement from our church, please call or text. My name is, and you can reach me at. You will not get the pastor's name on this card. It's your name. Because (laughs) it's your kind. I mean, God put you in their path. If God put you in their path, it wasn't so you could get them to me. It was because he wanted your story, his story of redemption in your life to intersect with that person in hopes that the nuggets of your story 
may be able to impact their story. That's been a real focus for us in the training in um, just how we are doing ministry. Uh, we actually called our building a headquarters, not a church. And the headquarters, you know, with any organization, the headquarters is where they get the information, the equipping, so they can go out and do whatever it is they're supposed to do. We call our, we call our building a headquarters. Don't look at it as a church. It's a headquarters. We'll meet there on Sunday. We'll be refreshed, retooled, re-energized, whatever we need. And then we're sending them back out. You have to go back out. You cannot be here. <laughs> like if you are here too long, there's a chance that something's not happening out there. And if you're coming back and nobody's coming with you, that means we still are, are not doing well in, in helping you and equipping you to tell your story. Yeah. And and so it's been exciting. I now that we are in church planting, I couldn't imagine doing anything but I'm like right? once this gets established, do we get to do another one somewhere? Can we just yeah. one of the things that it has definitely done for us, it's thrown out our norm. We have had more church outside in the cold. Christmas Eve, we had because our building still had mold in it, um, Christmas Eve, we met on the grounds for our Christmas Eve service. Good Friday, which was so cool. Um, we met on the grounds again. And so we talked about in that, in the devotional that night I shared with our congregation, you know, I said, oftentimes the circle of prayer, we tend to turn inward. We turn inward and we hold each other's hands. But the significance of the cross is it was absolutely an outward action for the sake of those who were standing there and, and for those who would come down the line. And I said, so tonight we're going to do something different. We're not going to turn in a circle and pray. We're going to turn outward and we're going to walk out and go pray in our community because that is the greatness of the cross. Like that is that even the one who was very much on the outside of a relationship with God could say to him, you know, you truly are the son of God. And he would say to that one who was a stranger, you today you will be with me in paradise. He gave him a home. He was no longer the other, but he was now family. And so we turned outward and we prayed over our community and we went out and prayed over it. And it was awesome to see cars slow down as as they're looking at us, just what this crowd of people just walking and praying. And so it's it has been glorious. Wouldn't trade it for the world. Church planting is addicting, isn't it, Sharon? It is. <laughs> I can see why people will do it over and over. I can, I can absolutely see it. Yeah. And once you, and once you taste it and then you start to see uh, people have just experiences with Christ, you know, there's so many people in our world who their image of Christ has been shaped by Hollywood and a bunch of other things. And, you know, they might have one or two elements of the gospel correct, but for the most part, they just don't really understand the gospel. Right. And they've heard Jesus name. And so we confuse that with, oh, they know the gospel. That is not right. the same thing. No, it's been revealed over the last, this pandemic time. Oh yeah. Uh, we've seen what's happening to, just an understanding of theology, ecclesiology, all of that, uh, soteriology of the people we lead. I mean, it, it is just 
been thoroughly amazing the things that people are willing to believe the way people are willing to treat others how how much we have have not learned the concept of bearing one another's burdens especially if the other's burdens are in contrast to what i believe so for instance um dale schaefer who is a superintendent down in florida district he posted this video not too long ago about it was a young man who has been attending mid-america nazarene and he is he has been in the united states he came from guatemala as uh, asylum his family got asylum here and he has spent the last 10 years trying to become a citizen spent over ten thousand dollars and he is now 30 like less than 30 days from having to leave the u.s and he made a statement he said i was forced to come here and now i'm being forced to leave this place that i've made my home i came as a kid you know he said oftentimes people have all these opinions about immigration but they really don't understand the process of immigration and i use him as an example because scripture calls me to bear that burden with him scripture calls me as a fellow christ follower scripture calls me to bear this burden with him right. and it's interesting the number of people who will fail to bear the burden because their opinions about this particular topic won't allow them to. And they will choose their opinion over their call as a Christ follower. And it has amazed me over the last year how we have allowed our opinions to almost cancel out our calling as believers. Amen. And I've just, I have been so blown away by that. And I'm like, what did we miss teaching you something did because as a pastor our call is to i've been doing this for 20 years so part of my thought is did i you know and i served as a worship pastor for you know most of all of pretty much all my tenure in the church of the nazarene and so it's like did i pick the wrong music did i pick words that did not affirm what we believe i'm almost i feel positive that i did but how am I missing something? And I think about um, the song Oceans. Oceans, you know, people will say, oh, this contemporary movie uh, music is so touchy-feely. And think about that song. You call me out upon the water. You call me to walk on the water like Peter did. Like that is scripture. And the lessons I learned from scripture is that you will be there. And as a Christ follower, I have to keep my eyes on you. Like that's what I learned from scripture, that you will hold me up. When you call me into the great unknown, you will hold me up. And so we sing this song and it becomes our favorite song. And, you know, we cry and we lift our hands and then we go to the grocery store after church and we won't, you know, God is inviting us onto the water of sharing his love and grace with someone. All of a sudden we look down like Peter and we sink and we don't even realize we've sunk. And so I just found myself over the listening and watching and I'm like, I can't, Sometimes I'm confused as to, I go to church with y'all. I know y'all. How is it that you are getting a very different gospel out of this than I am? Like, what am I missing? 
what has happened, and this ain't new. And so I won't fool myself to believe it's new. It's just been so well exposed over the last year. That probably has emboldened my heart and my husband's heart over the last year. It's like, okay, we are a ta- we are at a take no prisoners point because we're losing our kids. You know, our kids are given a bunch of options. Jesus falls on the list somewhere. And some of that is because they see, like, what are we showing them that's attractive about it? If this is who we, the people they go to church with, that's where we are. That's where we yeah. are. I mean, and I totally agree. I, it's not new. Like we've seen this all along. This past year has really sh- just shown a spotlight on it. But there is this sense of, man, how do you really repair it? But I mean, like we just went through First Corinthians. That was one of our series. And I'm like, Paul's dealing with it then. I'd like to say, though, you know, they none of them were Jewish. So I, I feel like we can cut them some slack. What what do we say about those who have grown up in their church all their life? And man, some of it is that we have done a really poor job. But then there's another part of me that says, you know, especially in the last 20 years or so, how do we compete? You know, you at best, mm-hmm. like people who are really for Jesus in my church, at best, they're showing up what two Sundays a month. And I know that most of them aren't reading their Bible during the week. They're not praying. They're not gathering with other believers to strengthen. And so I, how do I compete with hours and hours of social media and the movies they're watching and the radio programs they're listening to and the podcasts that I know are not in line with scripture. I'm not even talking about, I'm not even talking about holiness. I'm just talking about scripturally they're teaching, you know, they're listening to things that teach things that are completely opposite to what we believe as as followers of Christ and then how am I supposed to how you know you and I how do we undo that in 30 minutes or if we're really lucky and they give us two Sundays a month in 60 minutes right how do you undo everything that they have ingested throughout the week that you know when they're reading stuff that and following stuff that's completely contrary to being a follower of Jesus you know I'm not even getting into just living your own lifestyle but propaganda that they are ingesting i can't compete with that you know even if you think about you know as as much as you and i pray and prepare you're given the holy spirit to do a complete remote remake 60 minutes a a month (laughs) of what you're ingesting (laughs) right i mean he is god but still (laughs) that is so true one of the things that we added just from the jump we have an app a discipleship app that is through back to the Bible. What is it called? The discipleship place. Have you seen it? I have, and we had it at first, but then we changed our name. And now I have to figure out how to go in and just completely revamp it. So uh, we haven't gotten there. We haven't gotten that far. So we have 19 users, you know, they give you your metrics, but once you get 30 users, they'll be able to tell you based on the spiritual assessments, the issues that were brought up in the spiritual assessment. So it may assist with some preaching um, or teaching or whatever. There are seven folks who are getting scriptures every day and engaging them or engaging the messages, or we put our weekly reflection, we send it out through email. And because when we do the message, we give like a set of reflection questions that they can go through during the week. At some point, we're going to beef that up and make them a part of conversation during the week so that there is other uh, engagement. You know, when I say the tool is so easy, so, but it's amazing 
how even that that easy opportunity to just get some scripture in you, people won't take. Not sure why. And there are some things, yeah, that only just only God can do. That that's just a reality. One of the things that we have found is we've taken our group out of Egypt, but there's still Egypt in them. You know, one of the things that we wrestle with right now is this whole time. What time our service starts. So we were starting at two o'clock and we moved it back to noon. And so one of the things in our last move, we should not move it again until we get in the building and we are able to engage the community more because they should shape what time that meeting happens, not just the leadership team or the few of us. We need to do some additional exegesis of our community to determine when they're moving. So if Sundays people are trying to get in and out and an early service is going to be the smartest thing for the vast number of people, that's what we'll do. If keeping it at noon because people want to sleep in, but then we're done by two, generally one thirty or two, uh, if we think that's best for this community, then that's what we'll do. But we have people in our group who they love to go fishing and they love to go do. And it's like, I'm not knocking, you know, or they love to have their afternoons or they love. I'm not knocking all that and glad you do it, but I'm not moving up or moving time just to adjust to what we're used to on Sundays. That can't be how this works anymore. We may find once we are more um, we are actually in the building that our community would do better with a Saturday service or a Thursday service. But what we're not going to do is keep changing these times to suit what us who have been in the faith so long are used to doing. I love earlier church out by noon, got the rest of my day. I love it, but it's not about me. In Saginaw Township, I failed to share this. 54% of the population claims no faith at all. of the population. That is more than half of our community. And if I got to meet on Monday mornings at 8.30 to do that, then guess what? I will figure that out. We got to get Egypt out of us. We've come so far, but there are these pieces of Egypt that we're used to. And unfortunately, we've developed this kind of Egypt within the church in America. To some degree, it's almost like we oppress the gospel by our attitudes, by our behavior, and we make it hard for the gospel to be shared because of us, not because of any external factors. Getting us out of that has become super important and getting us focused on the main thing because that really, when we focus on the main thing, it really starts to answer some questions about justice, about, you know, all the things that are like buzzwords now that we are spending ourselves on. We're spending ourselves on these issues, but we're not spending ourselves on the cross, which will is a remedy for these issues. So that's where that's where we are. I don't even know how I got. That's okay. I love having these kind of conversations. So since you kind of turned the corner there with that, let's let's go to so now our general assembly got pushed back to I think it's 23 now, right? We're trying to get other countries to be able to get vaccinated so they can get their visas and, and get over here and it'll take a while to do that. So hopefully you're going to be at general assembly in 23. That is the plan. Okay, I'm going to be there. Let's think about our denomination 
or just even holiness, blessing holiness denominations. Mm-hmm. What is kind of your hope over these next couple of years now that we, I mean, we're still in the pandemic. It's not really over. Hopefully we're on the backside of it. What are some of the hopes and changes that you see will come out of this for us and then other Wesleyan holiness denominations? Well, one of the things is, is very real. I think we have a number of pastors who have been a part of heritage churches. That means churches that are just, you know, who are going to need some counseling. And I say that not, not tongue in cheek, they have gone through it. In some ways, I felt like God granted us a tremendous gift and somewhat saving us from it. We don't have a building. So, you know, we don't have this whole issue of meeting in person has been divisive. I think our church sharing a clear strategy and putting major importance on discipleship could not have come at a better time uh, because I think It's this season where our lack of discipleship has been revealed. Um, There has been a lack of discipleship in the body of Christ. And my hope and my prayer is that we would really, um, especially, you know, the denomination actually put out, I don't know if you've seen the material, you know, I'm like, these folks have have been working a little bit behind the scenes. It's, yeah, I just got my copy and I, I, I haven't gone through it. It's on my desk. It's like with the post-it note on it saying, you need to review this. It, but I do think brilliant uh, in their timing. I think you're you're spot on on that. Oh my goodness. And and simple. They do the square, the triangle, and, and the circle as these things where that remind us the steps of kind of these these stages of grace prevenient, saving, sanctifying. These are really, it's really huge because the prevenient grace alone pauses me in in my thinking that I don't always think the pre-Christian. I think the baby Christian, but they're calling us to this from not knowing to knowing well. That's the journey and to not forget that. And I think the church um, pressing that, uh, especially heading into General Assembly. One of the things that I, the stories you hear about the stuff that happens uh, in our churches across the seas from us is astounding because I remember I was in Guatemala. Like their church planters go from salvation to church planting in like a year's time. And those churches are still standing. They're not fly by night. They do serious discipleship from inviting, you know, from that point of accepting Christ to them, you know, becoming the sold out Christ followers who are now pastoring churches in a year's time. And I think we could do well, you know, from a global perspective, do well to see those pictures more often in our churches. And when we gather, you know, our full body, we have the opportunity to see that. We don't necessarily have the opportunity to see that unless the pastor is pulling up those NMI videos or the, or they're reading the, the Church of the Nazarene official. And for us to see that on a denominational wide scale where we get to see that and when we gather together um, for General Assembly, it's, it's, it's so energizing. And so to bring that to the table 
of what this thing looks like and what it needs to look like for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of communities and marriages. And I look forward to that in our gathering, this re-upping of the mission, re-upping of our call to holiness. Because I'm, if you're a pastor in America, I don't know about, I don't know what's happening abroad. But if you're a pastor in America, this has not been an easy ride. It's just not. And to preach the gospel, you are deemed a liberal or you are deemed a conservative. Just to yeah. preach what scripture says, right. all of a sudden you're a bad guy. And it's like, when did we get here? When did we get to this point? So I think our General Assembly gives us that opportunity to reorient our thinking, reinfuse, because it's not just us 10,000 here. It's really us 30, 40, 50, 60,000 everywhere. You know, we're a stronger band than just our corner. And the ability to gather with a broader sense of community allows us to do that. That we would see some encouragement. DSs would, I'm going to get in trouble probably for saying this if this go live. But here we go. There has been a planting strategy that's been encouraged amongst our DSs. And so you have DSs who are really pushing for multiplication, which is a great thing. I'm not knocking that. But your pastors are are suffering. There are pastors who are just ready to throw in the towel. And that's significant. And I think if there is not this conscious shift to making sure that pastors are cared for and equipped and encouraged to, to the work of discipleship, we can forget about church planting. We're going to have to find pastors to fill those churches. Yeah. You know, I'll have to say, and maybe this is the difference between men and women pastors and male pastors. I don't know, but I'll tell you this last year, since I haven't had to count numbers, the, first of all, the stress, my stress level, it just took a huge burden off of my shoulders. We actually did more. Like we grew mm -hmm. more when I didn't have to count when I wasn't constantly focused on the outcome and I could just focus mm -hmm. on the process and doing what God had called me to do instead of being constantly consumed with, well, how many people were in there and how, you know, did we, mm. and this, how, how much money did we bring in and, and all of these other things, how many baptisms and all, when I could just actually focus on the process mm -hmm. on loving people, discipling people, sharing the gospel, all of a sudden we had this huge growth that should tell us something. It, right. We should be revisiting this whole issue of, man, why are we so focused on the outcome and not right. focused on the process? Right? right. And what things can't you count? That also becomes a different right. story. Like there's some things you cannot count and, and that makes it difficult. So here's where I guess my MBA comes into practice. I am a statistics girl. Numbers can't tell you what's happening but they can tell you that something's happening and i do think to be alerted to something is happening is always important here is where we take that responsibility of counting off of our shoulders we have people who do it for us our secretary like she just knows this is her job she takes care of the counting and to put it through and when there's something we need to be alerted of she alerts us so there's some things I think it's good for us to know to make it a source of evaluation that becomes my problem, uh, especially 
And that's not to excuse someone not working or inadequacies in the area. But I do think when the numbers become the source of evaluation, whether you're a successful pastor or not, I, I struggle with that. Um, you know, Marlene Webster, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. So, you know, Marlene's numbers may not necessarily reflect what one would deem a successful year, but what is happening quality, the quantity may not show, but the quality may. She may be able to say, no, we didn't have any, we didn't have any baptisms this year, but I do need to tell you what's been happening. Right. You know, we've had this family, you know, we've had three or four young men who've accepted their call to preach. We've had some families restored, but I think there's more into the story than just looking at the numbers and being able to say, this is why, or this is why not. I'm, I'm with you though. It has been freeing as a church plant, not to have to worry about right. that stuff. It has. And I love it. And I can't imagine we will proceed any different simply because one, Brent, my husband and I, we really are yin and yang, which has been a blessing. I am a quantity person. He is a quality person. And so that has helped us a great deal. I actually like the numbers. You know, as you said, I said, I have 19 users, only seven are using. And there's 10. I mean, this is what it tells me. I don't know what it's telling me, but something's happening and I need to be able to address it. Is there something else we could do? Is this just not a resource? Am I wasting my time? And then I can go do something a different way that will still touch that seven, but will bring along the other 12. Those are questions that that's the nerd in me. My husband is definitely not that nerd. He is yeah. not the nerd. <laughs> and I can see that, you know, cause you'll say, you might say, well, are the other users maybe using another app or something, a different format? And that's fine. Or are the other users just doing nothing? <laughs> you know, right. Are they doing nothing? Uh, and, you know, and that's important also. So right. I hear what you're saying on that part. And, but I th think you're right that there's other things you need to do that would maybe serve us better. Like, okay, how many notes did I write to people? How many phone wow. calls did I make? How many, yes. how many visits? Like those things might be more valuable to track than how many butts were in the seat on Sunday morning, you know? Because now that we have this new this new tool that many of us will likely keep using, and that's you know virtual, we don't know how many people. I mean, how do you know? And we have a pastor in the city in Shields, Jim York. He has a huge biker following. He got saved out of the Hell's Angels. He got a huge biker following. Those guys are not coming to a church but he'll easily have 120 guys online and their families online. He can't count those. Like there's no way for him to count them, but it's making a difference. And so what do you do with that? To me, things like that are like incredibly significant. There's a quality there that if you tell him to close his church or they just need to close the church, would he be able to do that without the church building there? It, maybe he could, but would you want to? Like if you're trying to get these men not afraid this particular thing to take him out of the church may not be the best option. We just figure out how to support this church. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, that goes back, I think, to DS's pastoring their pastors. 
I think that becomes difficult when you got 80 pastors that you need to pastor with 80 different unique churches. How can you help that pastor best pastor this community? That's a lot of work. I don't even know how we got there either. (laughs) That's all right. This is what happens when we don't talk for three years, Sharon. (laughs) We need to do better. We just need to do better. We're too close not to do better. Well, you're coming. I heard you're coming, right? To camp meeting this year? So yes, that is the plan. I am having some hiccups. My Uh husband is getting ordained and they're, they're having our, I know he's getting ordained the same week and they are highlighting our church the same week. So I need to call, I'm calling Dr. Gardner actually today and like, dude, this is my scenario. That probably look really bad. I know. I want to stay married. I want to stay married. Your assembly's in July? Yeah. Ours is always the week. Normally it's the week before y'all camp meeting. Yeah. Or family camp. And we do our assembly and camp meeting in the same week. I don't know what to tell (laughs) y'all. And you know, you know, we elected a new DS last yesterday. And I'm so excited. I am so (laughs) over the moon. Oh, well, because I'm like closer to you. I'm an hour away from Howell. Yeah. I am two and a half hours away from Indian Lake. See what I'm saying? No, tell me, I, I know this is the podcast where you interview with me, but I've always been curious. How did you guys get the name Devon Air? Is it Devon Air Community? Devon Air. Yep. We are, it's the name of our, the neighborhood that we're in. We're like in the middle of a neighborhood. It's, okay. I mean, it's old school. Like this neighborhood was after World War II, you know, you got all the little houses yeah. and in the middle, they had a school, a church, an ice rink and a park. When we first started renting there, we were still plumb line because we started in the Y. And then once we bought the building, then we're like, you know, our vision really is to make the neighborhood church relevant again. So we're like, well, if that's our vision, we should probably change our name. Yeah. And how long have you guys been there? We just celebrated 10 years. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast again. Thank you for inviting me again. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. And tell your husband congratulations on his upcoming ordination. 